I'm Caroline Pennington, your host. Today I have Pooja Kumar with me. Hey Caroline, hey everyone. So, so happy to be here. So excited to have the opportunity to sit down and speak with you today. Pooja is the head of platform content design at Autodesk. So tell us more about your journey from going, you know, you start your career, you graduate, you enter the workforce as an employee, and then as you continue on with your career, you transition into a manager or supervisor, director. How did that path look like for you? Yeah, so uh, thank you for that little lovely introduction. I, um, I, I currently lead a global team of content designers at Autodesk, but I uh, began my career in engineering, and, and this was around more than a decade ago, straddling code and technical content development. And through that role, I developed a deep understanding of products. And my first excursion into management, um, people management, was via product management, doing kind of soup to nuts product work. And what I learned a ton about during that time were just the ways in which humans interact um, with each other. And as I was, you know, as a PM, I was developing roadmaps and unifying three different product teams and really breaking down silos and rallying these, these amazing people towards a common mission. And I picked up a lot of strengths along the way in terms of, um, you know, the surprising emotions humans show um, when when they're like collaborating or, you know, running into sticky situations. And I think for me, that was the beginning of this journey towards, you know, looking at how do we support people? How do we understand their uh, motivations um, and and really help them to do the best work of their careers. And um, since then, I went on to transition a few roles all the way from engineering to design and uh, now to content within, within design. So um, I definitely think I was able to leverage my passion and use that as a way to um, get people on board uh, with all the amazing experiences we are building. Um, so I do think when I look back at my experience being an IC versus, you know, managing a team of people, I think there were definitely three things that stood out for me. One was passion um, and how I'm able to really connect with people and their inner desires. And uh, two was really about, you know, uh, commitment and being able to put in processes, uh, systems in place so that people can be successful in those roles. And lastly, I think this is where it's more like that X factor, right? Like when you think about building long lasting, durable relationships, you want to be giving people, pushing them for sure, but also giving them what they need to feel that sense of well-being and confidence and, and creativity. Um, so those have almost been like a through line, I feel, throughout my career. I love that because you're right. I mean, understanding and knowing your team and understanding what lights them up and gets them excited just adds to you bringing more value to them as the manager, supervisor, director, and helping them grow professionally as well. 
Yeah, yeah, 100%. And I, I do think along the way, you know, even though now in hindsight, it all feels like, oh, that makes so much sense. You know, it, it sounds like a no brainer, but I do think, you know, pretty much like any newbie uh, manager, I did learn from those failures and mistakes. And I think, you know, just just introspecting and reflecting uh, on that journey and on that experience is so vital. Um, and I do think even this day, you know, every team is different. Um, every company is different. So what got you here is not going to, you know, work essentially for you uh, in your next job. And I think just staying open and staying curious, um, that's that's always valuable, uh, a valuable quality in, in your leadership. I love that. And so what's worked best? What has worked best for you when it comes to building out a talented team? Yeah, for me, it's, you know, one is finding the right people. And once they're hired, uh, doing everything in your mind to keep them happy. That's really it. And I do think when you look at hiring the right people, that's where um, I, I brought up those three themes. And it really is, you know, I, I do believe that more or less you can train people, you can coach people on at least 60% of the skills that you pick up on the job, like product learning, um, understanding stakeholders, right? But there are a few things that I look out for when I'm interviewing someone, uh, whether that's a manager or an individual contributor. And I'm only looking to measure these three things along, you know, are they great with problem solving? Um, that's number one. Are they demonstrating an ability to navigate ambiguity uh, and, and really to like drive solutions and being solution centric? while you know um leading with their teams but also having this capability to use self-direction so that's number one for me problem solving number two is a passion for the craft and i i bring this a lot because i do think at the end of the day we all want to be doing things that bring us joy and we want to be you know making a living out of that as well and that's the ideal scenario so i do think there are ways in which um we can frame that as leaders to make sure that there is alignment between inner motivations and you know even extrinsic needs for the business um and what i'm really looking for is to get that genuine sense of love and drive and enough naivete uh to learn and grow right because that's how you really sort of ground your practice and ground your thinking so I definitely watch out for those signals when I'm when I'm especially in an interview setting. And the third quality, which I, I mentioned earlier, is is really about being self-aware. Um, you know, I, I love people who are ruthlessly honest um, with themselves about, you know, how they're doing and are also willing to be ruthlessly honest with me. Uh, in, in telling me how I'm doing and how I'm supporting them. So I do think when I look back at what does it mean to be building a talented team and attracting you know the right people for the job, I am definitely keeping out, uh, you know, uh, watching out signals in, in these dimensions. I do love that. So problem solving, passion for craft and self-awareness. Um... I mean, those are hard things to tell in an interview, especially when you only have, you know, an hour with somewhere in 30 minutes. And so I guess 
what have you, how have you been able to, to identify those three things in your career? Yeah, I will say that, you know, an interview uh, setting is, is only going to open an aperture into this person's thinking um, and potentially by, um, you know, bringing up stories that are relevant to these themes, we get a glimpse into how this person is potentially navigating a situation. But you're 100% right. There's no way that we can tell if, you know, this candidate, uh, the, the situation they are in will 100% make them successful in the role that we're looking for. So it's it's definitely a balance of what they say, you know, uh, the intuition. And for me as a leader, I think I always look at like a heart and head balance when I'm making decisions. And um, sometimes you learn along the way. Sometimes there are folks who are great, you know, performers at interview, but then things don't pan out as well, which is unfortunate. And I think you learn something more from those experiences. And I, I have definitely, I think now over the course of a decade, hired more than a few hundred people. And I do think there is beauty in uh, digging deep within a situation. And I think it's easy to, you know, catch people who are like making up a situation. So I think that's what, as a leader, you start gauging as you hear stories, as you hear experiences. So I do definitely keep, you know, uh, keep room for like more breadth in, in the prompt versus narrowing it down to specific like, hey, tell me about a time you delivered something um, that that met the goals of the business while keeping the deadlines on time. And you will definitely see stories where people are like, uh, one, trying to build the situation, um, and, and then two, trying to help paint a picture for why this was challenging, what were the moments of friction, and that tells a lot, you know, about just how they think, how have they navigated, what have they learned, um, and I'm definitely looking for those stories of failures, stories of, you know, learnings in, in those in those uh, conversations. So yes, definitely, I think, you know, designing better questions. Um, and, uh, you know, as, as one of my former colleagues mentions, like the, the idea of questions are like designing beautiful questions that invite, uh, uh, you know, that really provoke uh, the individual to go deeper than what their experience may have been. And that's usually the fodder for these conversations. I love that. You can definitely tell a lot. You're right. How people react to those situational questions because you can tell whether or not they're making it up or whether or not it's something that they, you can tell in their body language, you know, that they've actually went through that. They went through that situation or scenario and they, like you said, learned something from it or didn't. Hopefully they did learn something from it and improved and moved forward. But so how do you retain and keep high performing team members when there's economic uncertainty? Mm, I love this. And, you know, it's something that I, I think I find myself reflecting so much more uh, in, the, in, in the last couple, more than a couple of years. Mm -hmm. um, you brought up like high performing teams. So I want to just take a moment to ground that, right? So to me, a high performing team is one that's, fueled by a high trust environment mm. and has found the state of groove or, you know, what we call the flow state. Um, 
but in 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 terms of day to day this is a team that's uh shipping that's delivering on time whether that's code or design or content is highly motivated and collaborates and disagrees productively so uh that can be a lot i mean just to like in a nutshell categorize what 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 a high performing team may look like but i do think that's sort of like the dna to any team um that's on that path to like you know growing and 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 really being at a high performance level um there are a few things that i have done um you know especially as i think of how do i um you know going back to my previous previous thought of you know yes you have to do everything once you've brought in the right people in the room to make sure that you are injecting clarity um and giving them a sense of you know clear purpose and motivating them and in service of that i i lean on heavily in my in my one on one conversations and i think i have definitely uh learned a ton by investing my energy in those conversations as opposed to you know team settings or async conversations and one of the ways in which um uh, as an example so i've definitely started up a lot of reporting relationships in the last few years and one tool that i've used uh, uh you know almost consistently is this idea of one on one cheesy questions which i borrowed from lara hogan's book and uh what it really does is it helps um it really helps gather data about about your uh new teammate and um i've been able to use those responses those answers that i get from that session uh when i need to be giving feedback or when i need to recognize a team member or to really find creative ways to support them and all of these have served me as tools especially when we think of those you know moments where we are trying to weather those storms of change whether that's with a reorg or with uh, an exec turnover or even with a company going public mm. um you know i was definitely in startups and we saw just like this continuous wave of change and each time um it feels like you get this team the the team is sort of resetting too and if i can if i can quote you know uh, tuckman's uh, framework of storming norming right forming and and performing that that sort of you know helps uh me as a leader label the situation that i'm finding myself in as a, as a lead and also you know what are we going through as a team and that helps ground a lot of the the anxiety and and even you know a loss of morale and and things like that and i i do think there is value in in helping people um uh, learn that and acknowledge it and embrace it before we go into the tackle mode right so i do think um some of these little moments that we have with our teammates whether that's in one on ones or whether that's in labeling what are we really experiencing here and embracing it and creating space for those conversations where you can hold like authentic discussions and 
help people understand where the decisions are coming from. I think that is really at the root of how we how we help teammates navigate change and 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 develop empathy for for what we are going through. So good, and all of that adds towards the trust factor, as mm-hmm. you're saying. You know, and that if there's that open line or they know they can meet with you one on one and be real with you, you know, that's uh, it creates a safe environment for employees that you know if there's turmoil coming on or, you know, the company is going public or being bought out or whatever, fill in the blank. Um, I think that's huge. Yeah. So tell us about a time you had to build a team from the ground up and then how is that different than walking into a team, an existing team? Yeah. I, I, I really love this question because I, I do think I, cycled through a few roles where I was, you know, uh, leading a team um, that I had inherited or I found myself um, having to double the size of the team. And each time I think, you know, there's there's no two scenarios where I can think that there have been commonalities other than the fact that, you know, there's just been so many dimensions of nuance as I think of like the people involved or the way the decisions were made in that environment or even the people dynamics. Um, So I do think it does come down to listening before enacting change. And I do think there is so much value, especially as you come in as a new leader on a team, or even when you're having that reset um, within the same organization where you're going from even just adding a new teammate is, is almost like a reset because you're trying to help this person you know, acclimate in this new environment and adjust and settle in and and while also helping them gain confidence and and be effective and successful. So I do think uh, one of the things that I have really sort of reminded myself is to uh, absorb and be a sponge. Um, I rely on this framework, especially as we think of first 90 days. So anytime I onboard a new leader or a new teammate, and even for myself from having onboarded in so many different environments, I feel in the last in the last decade, um, there's there's there are a few phases you go through. The first one is obviously, you know, what I call learning. You're coming in, you're holding, you're listening to with a number of stakeholders just trying to understand, you know, what's working, what's not working, what are some aspirations um, on this team, and then trying to come up or trying to formulate your own vision for what the next 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 90 days might look like for you. Um, and then the next phase, right, comes in with uh, with with really implementing or like you're trying to experiment a few things and you don't want to be making like uh you know uh, big changes in, in that short period of time you want to go small you want to be mindful of you know what are the what's the impact of of this change and you want to be consulting people and i do think there's value in in holding those discussions with your peers with your leadership and even with your teams before you roll out a change and and eventually you know you get into that accelerate mode where you've made a few uh, you've run a few experiments and you've seen what works, what sticks, and and you're you're coming back to the drawing board and iterating on that. And I think that framework really sort of 
helps see uh, how you want to be designing not just your current onboarding journey on this team, which I call the first mile, but also making it collaborative, right? You don't have to go this alone. You can definitely use your teams as your counsel, as your thought partners in, in really shaping that and, and keeping this a truly democratic collaborative process, uh, which sometimes leaders, and you know, because of the different treasures that you feel from having to perform or showing visibility, you tend to make decisions in, in like a, almost like a veto process. And I think that's where, you know, I have seen a lot from whether that was inheriting a team or whether that was building a team from the ground up, just using that period to invest in the current environment. And to also, you know, I, I, I do see parallels from the things that I have experienced, uh, you know, the lived experiences that we, we've gained from our previous roles and how that might reconcile with this new environment. Um, so I, I do think there's there's beauty in, um, in using that as a framework and, um, you know, keeping, keeping those loops of feedback open between your teams. I love that. Those are some good nuggets and especially learning from previous experiences and kind of when you go into a new environment, not just totally overhauling everything. I think you made a good point about how important information gathering is when you first start um, as a director, as a manager, or, you know, starting from the ground up. I mean, that's, that's huge. Yeah. And I, I, you know, I brought up uh, Tuckman's framework and it's really like you're sort of sniffing or doing like a pulse check too in, in terms of understanding where does this team uh, in terms of maturity, whether that's process maturity or whether that's even, you know, task maturity. And especially like in, in disciplines like design and content, um, you always have so much more room to like focus on strategy and focus on like standardization where we are building systems for people. And I do think regardless of whether I found myself in extremely like stable environments or in, in you know, startup-y, scrappy environments, I have definitely seen, you know, this need and desire and aspiration to continue honing in on those systemic pieces. So um, I, I do think there is also, you know, so much value of bringing in from those listening tour, like gauging how much more work there is on that spectrum of strategic work and where does this team currently stand? Um, so good. Well, that's all the questions I had for you today. I really appreciate your time and thank you for sharing your experiences with us today. Um, as we wrap up, how can our listeners find you to follow along? Thank you so much. It was such a pleasure being here. Um, I'm, I'm very active on LinkedIn, so uh, please come look me up. Uh, my name is Pooja Vijay Kumar. And yeah, thank you. And I, I look forward to staying in touch with you, Caroline. This was a blast. Absolutely.